your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, pod you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Well, I guess it won't be easy after all. This is EJ Stewart, Tommy Beer. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, WFN Odyssey original. We are talking Knicks playoffs. We're talking a blowout loss in game two to the Cleveland Cavaliers. We'll break down this game. What happened? Why was Cleveland so dominant? And does it mark concerning signs for the Knicks moving the series to New York for game three? So we'll talk all about that. We'll also talk about a play that happened late in the game regarding Julius Randle and uh, Jared Allen. Randle fell hard on his back on a a late foul by uh, Jared Allen on a dunk attempt. And there's been a lot of questions about Tom Thibodeau and his decision to leave the starters in the game at that point in time, being down 20-plus points uh, with two minutes to go. Randle, Brunson, a lot of stars were in the game when Randle took that tumble. So we'll talk about that decision and what we thought about the foul. And in some larger NBA playoff news, some massive news coming out of the Western Conference playoffs, Draymond Green has been suspended for the Sabonis stomp that happened just a couple of nights ago in Sacramento. So no Draymond Green for game three. I want to get Tommy's thoughts on uh, whether or not that was the right decision to suspend Draymond and what he thought about the, excuse me, oh yeah, Draymond and what he thought about the whole situation. So plan to get to on this episode, Tommy, how you feeling, my man? Plenty to get to is right. We got a big Warriors game tonight. This is yeah. NBA finally starting to kick into high gear right now. We got some important games, including game three, uh, Knicks, Knicks Cavs Friday night at the Garden. The reason why that matters is because the Knicks got a Draymond stomp of their own uh, Tuesday night <laughs> in, in Cleveland. Yeah. Um, which is, uh, listen, we all, nobody was predicting a five game romp or a four game sweep. You know, everybody knew it was difficult um, one way or the other. Um, and uh, as we, as the Cavs showed on Tuesday, they got plenty to fight, uh, plenty of fight left in them. Um, and they, they showed the Knicks. Uh, they made the first major tactical adjustment of the series, which we'll discuss. And yeah. then uh, we'll see how uh, Tibbs and the Knicks react. So let's get into it. Yes, we will. So let's get into it. And before we start again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast, WFN Odyssey original. A podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. We drop three times a week. This is our second episode of this week. So make sure you hit that auto-download feature. Also, rate and review the podcast on your streaming service as well. And check us out on YouTube. You can find us on the Odyssey Sports channel and the WFAN channel as well. So you can get the video version of this podcast and the video segments from this show. So the Cavs answered the bell in game two. They delivered a knockout blow to the Knicks. The Cavs outscored the Knicks. 34-17 in the second quarter and cruised to a 107-90 victory in Cleveland. The Cavs turned the tide the series with suffocating defense that held the Knicks to just 39 points in the first half on 37% shooting. Meanwhile, the Cavs got a breakout game from Darius Garland, who was red hot in the first half. He had 26 points in that first half. He finished the game with 32. Karis LeVert, who also served as the primary defender on Jalen Brunson for much of this game, added 24 points off the bench. Donovan Mitchell... Only scored 17 points in this game, but ended up with a career-high 17 assists. So he definitely still made his impact felt in this one. For the Knicks, it was a struggle for pretty much everyone offensively. Uh, Jalen Brunson, who had a monster game one, struggled in game two. He shot uh, five for 17 on his 20-point performance. Julius Randle had 22 points on eight for 20 shooting. R.J. Barrett 
was four for 13. He added four, uh, 14 points in this one. So uh, real, right, at the, right out the gate, Tommy, why were the Cavs so easily able to dominate the Knicks thoroughly in game uh, in game two? Yeah, I think uh, I think if we start in the second quarter, um, you know, two possession, one possession game, two point game, back and forth in the first quarter. Knicks hanging tight, you know, not scoring a bunch, but their defense doing enough to keep them close. Um, nine minutes left in the second quarter. It's still just a two point game, 26-24. Turnover by Isaiah Hartenstein. Cavs come back on the other end of the floor and score. And to me, um, I thought it was emblematic of really what troubled the Knicks. There's been two things, and we talked about going into the series that we've talked about throughout the regular season, kind of the secret sauce for the Knicks offensively um, is taking care. One of the factors that, that they really lean on is taking care of the basketball um, yeah. third in the league and fewest turnovers per game. Final at those final nine minutes of the second quarter, they turned the ball over nine times led to 19 points for the Cavs. Um, really difficult to, to, to overcome that sloppiness that not taking care of the basketball. Um, again, lead went from two points to 20 um, over that final final nine wow. minute stretch of the second quarter. Um, a total of, of 14 turnovers in the first half. Knicks average 13 turnovers per game during the regular season. Other really important factor for the Knicks is to dominate the glass. We saw that in game one, had 51 rebounds to the Cavs, only 38. And game one was a major factor in the Knicks' victory. Last night, Knicks only get 36 boards, um, uh, uh, 38 rebounds, out-rebounded by Cleveland, 43-38. to 38. Um, We'll get into Jalen Brunson. I think he was doing a little bit too much early on, uh, wasn't mm-hmm. passing well enough. Randall didn't have a great game, didn't seem to be in a great headspace. Um, R.J. Barrett continues to struggle. And the Emmanuel quickly things really – disturbing and perturbing and confusing however you want to call it um weird um so all those kind of weigh in but i but you know we we saw a lot of that you know kind of be overcome by a really strong josh Hart game and a a great second half uh from brunson in game one um this the final score was a 17 point advantage for cleveland it wasn't that close um nicks really got thoroughly outhandled especially over the final three quarters um and i thought the turnovers and, and rebounding um were were primarily responsible yeah, I mean, those avalanche of turnovers killed him. I mean, Julius Randle had four turnovers in just the second quarter alone. I mean, that is not going to get it done on any level. Um, but it wasn't just him. Jalen Brunson turned the ball over. You mentioned the Hardenstein turnover. Josh Hart turned the ball over. Quentin Grimes turned the ball over. Um, uh, credit to the Cavs. I mean, they said they were going to be more physical. They said they were going to be more yeah. intentional with how they made the Knicks feel them, and they really turned up the heat. And the Knicks just didn't respond. That's the only way to describe it. I thought that Cleveland, and that's frustrating because I thought Cleveland started that game still nervous on the offensive end. Yep. Um, the Knicks were playing really solid defense. Cleveland still looked like they were trying to feel their way through that game, especially because of how Donovan Mitchell started that game, which I want to get to very soon, um, not being quite as aggressive. I think Cleveland was trying to feel their way through how they were going to score offensively. Um, and that's why the Knicks got off to like an eight-point lead in that first quarter. So the fact that, Cleveland kind of allowed the Knicks to perhaps get themselves into a rhythm in that game. Knicks couldn't take advantage of that in the first quarter. And then once Cleveland kind of saw how close the game was and said, all right, the season is pretty much on the line for the rest of this game. If we don't turn it up now, uh, the season's going to be over. You can't go to New York down 0-2. And they turned up the heat. The Knicks seemed like they were uh, completely befuddled. I don't want to say that they were just saying, okay, we're happy with the split. But I just think that they just did not – feel the need or just could not match Cleveland's intensity. And 
Um, this is what Cleveland does in terms of what they can do defensively. It, like they were more physical. I'm not going to act like they weren't, but again, to me, it's, it's less about their physicality and more about their length, more about their speed and their athleticism. And what I saw in that second quarter was it felt like the Knicks were playing in, you know, quicksand and the, the Cavs were playing on a fast track. Like they, they're just so quick in their rotations. They were so much better on their double teams and, and their help defense. And they just use their arms. They're waving. They're being intentional. Like I think it was um Wally who said it during the post game. Like when they, they were double teaming uh, certain guys, like uh, especially IQ came in and turned the ball over immediately. These are not soft double teams. These guys are coming after you, trying to get steals, trying to deflect the ball. So the Cavs deserve a lot of credit. This is not the the episode to to poo poo what the Cavs did defensively. They they are the best defensive team in the NBA, arguably, and they looked like that in that game. What I will say is I thought Jalen Brunson, uh, to me, he gets a lion's share of the blame for this loss, honestly. Like, I thought he set a terrible tone for the Knicks offensively because it almost felt like he was trying to make up for lost time in the first game because he was not looking to pass the ball. He came in looking to shoot, looking to get his shot. And what bothered me about it so much was, you know, okay, one, you're not making shots, so you think okay maybe you gotta quick make a quick adjustment if that's not if your shots aren't going down i know we had a couple guys shots go in and out shots that look like they were gonna go in but the other thing that bothered me was look at how donovan mitchell started that game mitchell at 38 mitchell saw that he could get his against the knicks but his teammates looked shook in game one his teammates did not play with confidence his teammates did not provide any assistance for him in game one so he came into game two saying i have to get these other guys some confidence get these other guys some shots and again, it started off not well. Like they didn't play well the first first ten minutes, first you know eight minutes of that first quarter. But at the end of the day, him getting those guys shots and getting those guys rhythm, getting those guys confidence, eventually carried itself into the second quarter when Garland goes for fifteen and a quarter. Like Brunson, seeing what he saw from IQ and RJ and Quentin Grimes, he needed to get those other guys involved. He needed to play more full general start that game. And look, if you go down, then you say, okay, I got to go out there and get my offense, but. I didn't like how he started that game saying, I got to get mine first, and then I'll get these other guys involved. Those other guys are struggling with their confidence. So um, I-, I thought Jalen Brunson set a really poor tone for the Knicks in this loss. And not to say that it's all on him, but I think that that was a, a big part of why the Knicks offense struggled. It's, it cannot disagree with you there. Um, uh, if we give Brunson credit when the team plays well, we got to knock right. him when the team plays poorly. And he played yeah. poorly. Um, actually looked up the numbers. This was the first time in his career. He's played 374 games, regular season and postseason. This is the first time in his career he's attempted more than 15 shots and made fewer uh, five or fewer field goals. So that gives you an idea wow. of how he was just out of sorts and, and clearly wasn't productive, wasn't efficient, and it was, it was not a net positive for the Knicks that night. Um, in defense of Brunson, I'll say this. The reason the Knicks won game one was because Brunson put the game on his shoulders, put yeah. the team on his back in the second no half, was limited to nine minutes in the first half, came out in the second half. The difference was the Cavs put Jetty Osmond on him and basically, you know, said, God bless, good luck, and, and hopefully we somehow survive, <laughs> right. um, which was a big mistake. They made an adjustment, and Brunson didn't adjust to the adjustment. Um, I, I thought you made a great point on on how the on how the Knicks – uh, on how the Cavs rather doubled Brunson. Um, you know, the parlance of the, the NBA defensive teams is sometimes you'll show on a screen a big show and then scramble back and find, you know, yeah. protect, 
no, they, the, the Cavs blitzed double teams. They, they blitzed high pick and rolls. Um, nearly almost as soon as he crossed that court, they'd have a guy run at him. And the, and, and Brunson, the, the Knicks in particular, and Brunson specifically, did a very poor job of finding either uh, Mitchell Robinson at the nail or, cro- yep. or, or skipping the ball across the court when those doubles came. Perfect evidence. Quinn Grimes had two field goal attempts in this game. Um, we've talked about how inefficient the Knicks' offense can be when they're when there's not balance offensively. Um, and Brunson, to, to your point, uh, in support of your point, um, didn't do a good enough job getting these guys looks. Um, I understand what his thinking was. Um, you know, if they're going to run single, you know, a, a poor defender at me, um, you know, he made his first shot and got a, a quarter with yeah. two fouls down, you know, in the first three minutes, it looked like Knicks were up eight points. Um, but again, you know, he's got to adjust when he sees the Cleveland shift, their game plan. Um, you know, he's got to be more of a distributor uh, and playmaker than scorer. Um, so, so hopefully he'll adjust to that as well. So, you know, we'll see, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how it, it goes, how, uh, assuming, uh, and again, he's known, he's a very high basketball IQ. Um, I expect him to make the correct decisions again, but there were, there were times when Mitchell Robinson caught the ball top of the key and Nick's had it four and three and they didn't, and whenever the skip right. pass was made or the correct play was made, the Knicks decisions weren't sharp. They weren't moving the ball, um, too much ISO, too much dribbling. And you get 90 points, the second fewest points the Knicks have scored this entire season. And how many times were they also uh, just not in sync? Like, you know, they're trying to make that second pass and, you know, they're throwing the ball in the third row or they're throwing the ball to the referee. Like, it it seemed like guys weren't where the passers thought they would be. I mean, Josh Hart took a ball to the dome at one point on on a second pass on one of those double teams. I mean, the Knicks were not prepared for what the Cavs are going to do. And that is, it is what it is. I mean, it's game two. You won game one, so I don't want to just go ballistic. But the fact that they didn't really even anticipate that adjustment is a little annoying and a little frustrating in that in that standpoint. So they're going to have to get it right. I mean, this was a game that was, like I said, not competitive for a lot of this. At How, how much concern do you have going into a game three because of this loss? I, I don't want to, you know, emphasize so much on this look because the Knicks did get what they needed which was a split but you go down 29 points do you take a, a, a large bit of concern from this result or do you say hey Cavs need to get that game where we'll be fine going back to the garden for game three yeah I'll say this if you would have asked Nick fans Saturday morning for game one do you settle for Wednesday morning being 1-1, headed back to the Garden, five-game series, Knicks having home court advantage, most fans would settle, you know, would would, would, would take that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, uh, it, look back six months, you know, going into the season. I told <laughs> yeah. you the Knicks would be a five seed and, and have a 1-1 game, you know, heading back to the Garden. Um, you know, you, you obviously take that as well. Expectations are low. That being said, um, you don't like to give away a game. Um, but you know, we got to give credit where credit is due. Cavs outplayed them. They out toughed them. They talked for two days about, we're going to land the first punch. We're going to be more physical. Basically the coaches, the players, everyone called it a gut check game. Um, and the Cavs played like the more desperate team and far and more often than not, when two teams are relatively even as these two teams are, the more desperate team is going to have an advantage. Um, and the Cavs played like a team that's the best defensive team in the NBA, which they were yeah. for the 
the prior six months. First in the NBA in, in points per game allowed. First in the NBA in points per 100 possessions allowed. Um, you know, we talked about the fact that they had held teams under 100 points 24 times during the regular season, more than any other team in the NBA. Um, they were 23 and one in those games. Um, so, you know, you factor all that in. I'm, you know, at the end of the series, um, you know, it's not who scores the most points, it's who wins the most games. So whether you win by one or you win by yeah. 29, um, a win is a win is a win. A loss is a loss is a loss. Uh, now you just got to adjust. Now you got to, you know, make the, the, the counter adjustments uh, for, for what the Cavs did. Um, I think more concerning than um, the, 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 the game, losing that game in particular, is fearing that the Cavs may have stumbled upon something that may benefit them going forward. Isaac Okoro plays three minutes. Uh, again, the Knicks are daring him to shoot, funneling the ball to him. Um, he's not giving yep. the Cavs anything on either end of the ball. They bring in Karis LeVert and, and Jetty Osmond, but it was Karis LeVert um, who, who really uh, scored 24 points. Was you know coming in, uh, one of the things we talked about was the Knicks X factor is RJ Barrett. He's been bad. The yep. whereas the, the, the Cavs X factor is in, in many respects um, might be Karis LeVert was bad, terrible in, in game one, one of seven comes back in game two and really gives them uh, the punch. We'll talk about Garland, um, but, I, but I thought his play um, really helped set the tone and establish and keep the Knicks at, at arm's length. Um, I assume we'll see very limited minutes from, from Ocaro, um, and, and then it becomes fascinating. Do the Cavs stick with essentially a seven-man rotation? And that you know right. that includes Danny Green playing 20 minutes, who I didn't right. – he hit some shots, but I you know can he guard guys off the dribble? Um, I think the Knicks can take advantage of him um and if that core four plays 40 minutes a night they have three days off now so that that definitely benefits them but if they play friday night at 8 30 and then sunday at one um do they get worn down there those are those are things that that will have to factor but as i said the the adjustment going forward is how do the knicks counteract um one the aggressive double teams on brunson and two on the other end of the floor how do they do a better job guarding uh lavert if i'm tibbs um, I don't want Brunson to have to have to deal with Levert. Um, you know, I'm yeah. going to stick him on the other. You know, uh, if it's Jetty Osmond in the corner, he was two of seven, I believe. Um, but yeah, I don't want uh, that to put that responsibility on Brunson. Yeah, Levert was fantastic. Uh, I thought his defense. He was picking up full court on both yeah. Quickly and Brunson. I thought he was phenomenal defensively. Um, something that I don't. I, I mean, I learned he's a much better defender than even I realized. Uh, uh, that's something he's done for them this season. He really wasn't a factor defensively in game one. They didn't try him on Brunson in game one, which yeah. now after seeing his success was a little surprising. But he was – and maybe part of that was because he was so bad offensively they couldn't put him out there. But he was fantastic on defense. I thought that, that kind of set the tone, I thought, for the entire Cavs defense. He came in the game and he's picking up full court and he's uh, using his length to bother these smaller guards. And I thought that that was a, a huge difference. And then offensively he gets it going. The Knicks can't have that. Like I said, to me this is a two-man team really in terms of offensive creation with – Garland, who was red hot, who Nick's gonna have to find a way to slow down. And Mitchell, is that if they get a third guy in there and Levert, that's where major problems come. So they came big game from Levert. They can't afford to have more of those if the Knicks want to win this series. And on Garland, I mean, the Knicks have been using essentially RJ Barrett as a primary defender on him, trying to hide Brunson. I tweeted it yesterday. I think I think Deuce McBride's got to play in this series. I think living with that many minutes with Barrett chasing around a guard as dynamic as Garland is not, not, you know, I don't think you're going to get the best from Marjorie Barrett this whole series. If that's how this is going to work. 
Um, I think Barrett's working hard. I think he's trying. I think he did a good job in game one. But I just think this is a upper echelon point guard who is a deadly shooter. And if he sees one or two go down, then it's look out below. And this is a guy who had a 50-point game this year. I think they can't live with that solely being the answer, that we can put just put Audrey on him and, and that be the case. Now, I know that expands the rotation to 10. We saw Deuce come in for a little brief stint. I think Tim's going to have to get maybe three or four minutes in each half of Deuce McBride chasing those guys around just to keep some of these guys' legs fresh because Garland is a dangerous scorer. And I think that at the end of the day, like I said, this is a two-man team. So you, you can't have both of these guys have a big game. You can't have Mitchell getting 13 assists and then Garland also getting you no know, 32 or 26 and a half. Like you got you to take away something. Listen, uh, R.J. Barrett is 6 of 25 from the field through two games. Um, you know, he's played seven games in his playoff career now, shooting 35% from the floor, 25% from behind the arc in those seven postseason contests. The reason, the, the rationale behind playing R.J. Barrett extended minutes is, yeah, he's not a great defender, but he's effort, he has length, he can, you know, hopefully disrupt uh, the Cavs' offensive flow. But you, at least you yeah. get the offensive, you know, a guy that averages 19 points a game. Not always efficient, but you can get downhill, draw some fouls. He's not yeah. doing it. Um, so if you're not, if you're playing a guy for his offensive contributions, and he's not only not contributing offensively, he's been a detriment. I just no touch around the basket, no confidence yeah. in his outside stroke, not drawing fouls, not getting to the line enough. Um, I don't see how you can justify playing him 33, 34, 30 minutes a night. Um, I wrote the same thing this morning. I think they got to redistribute those minutes, um, whether it's more minutes, uh, you know, give IQ extended minutes, and he's been bad. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, give Grimes more playing time, kind of reallocate those minutes, um, uh, you know, early on and, and have bring Hart in alongside. So you have Hart to guard one guy, either Brunson or, or you know, have, uh, um, sorry, have Hart guard Mitchell and then have Grimes guard Garland, um, you know, experiment with that. And also bring in McBride, play him for four or five minute stretches. Um, again, if he doesn't knock down threes, uh, you just have RJ Barrett with less volume, less miss Right, shot. yeah, yeah, exactly, right. You know, what there's not a lot to lose there, you know. So yeah. that's that's kind of my thinking. Um, RJ Barrett hasn't earned those minutes. Um, I, you know, you come into the series hoping that he can kind of be that X factor, that he can kind of reestablish his stroke, that he'll see a couple shots go down, and you know, maybe he'll knock down some threes and get to the bucket. Um, but it just it, it hasn't manifested itself. And uh, you know, you mentioned game one again, he's he's putting forth effort, but um, Garland was seven of 13, he just didn't take a lot of shots, right? Um, he wasn't aggressive, yeah, he wasn't aggressive, and everybody. Everybody, uh, you know, everybody on the street, he saw it, he said, screamed at him, his teammates, his coaching staff, his, his girlfriend, <laughs> shoot, the shoot the ball, bro. You yeah. know, and, and that's kind of what he did. Um, so, and as you mentioned, saw a couple go down, um, you know, Barrett's just not a good enough defensive player. Can he develop? He's only 20, you know, we, we, we talk about this on and on, you know, but at this stage of the game, uh, in the biggest game of, of the next, you know, season uh, in, in 48 hours from now, um, you know, I don't know. I don't feel comfortable trusting him to slow down uh, a player that that obviously has the ability to take over a game. Um, so for the Knicks to lose a game where where Mitchell scores less than 20 points, um, you know, granted 13 assists, he was awesome. He did just what they needed to do. Um, but but going forward, you know, Garland has shown um, that you can slow down Mitchell and he can still have a big night. So um, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think we're on the same page that um, that Tibbs has to re reassess things here. Um, and, and and Barrett's probably not the answer. 
Yeah, I mean, Barrett, he got he had seven free throws. I thought in the second half, I know the game was out of reach, but I right. thought in the second half he started to get some some fouls, started to get to the basket a little bit better, not finishing, but at least getting fouls. So there was that. So maybe he takes that to New York, but the leash has got to be shorter on him. That, yes. That's to me the way it is. If he's not giving you anything in the first half, then you got to try out the guys. Um, this is, uh, you know, do or die at this point. This is the playoffs. So um, it is what it is. So Knicks yeah, you can't, lose. You can't worry about feelings and emotions. No, no, no. Yeah. This is listen. If a guy's not getting it done, you got six months to tweak talk and say, "Hey, still my buddy." Um, you got to win game three. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Knicks lose. They get back to New York. Game three is on Friday. So, uh, I want to talk about one thing real quick here. So, uh, the Knicks head coach Tom Thibodeau, he's taking some criticism, um, for a play that almost landed uh, Julius Randle back on the shelf with two twenty-two uh, to go. Randall was undercut by Jared Allen during a breakaway dunk attempt and was slow to get up after grabbing his back. He would make the technical, uh, the Philly foul free throw, um, then head to the locker room. So Jared Allen was assessed with a flagrant one for the play. J.D. Bickerstaff argued that he thought it was a basketball play and that it should have been a flagrant foul. Tom Thibodeau was asked about uh, why Randall was in the game and actually have this sound from him. So here's what he said about why Randall was even out there in a 20-point blowout. I actually was going to shove Julius out. He wanted to stay in for a couple more possessions just to find rhythm. So his explanation being that Randall wanted to remain in the game because uh, he wanted to get a rhythm. He, of course, missed uh, 17 days of action with a sprained ankle for making his return in game one. Um, for Randall's part in it, um, he talked about whether or not the play was dirty or not between uh, with Jared Allen. So here's what Randall had to say. Uh, I mean, at this point, it's irrelevant. Um, I thought it was a little unnecessary. You know, usually when you um, – I understand, like, playoff basketball. And, um, you know, you, you don't give up on plays, and I respect that. You know, I'm somebody who plays hard. I respect that. But, you know, typically when you make those kind of plays, you run across their body, not through them. Um, so uh, – but it's fine. It's irrelevant, you know. Go back to the garden and we'll see them there. It's interesting to ask them, what do you mean by, uh, you know, how you think, what's going to, what do you mean by going back to the garland and, and seeing them there? He's like, it's the garden. So I think he's kind of like giving a sign to the Knicks fans to say, hey, you saw what happened. Remember what happened and be ready for game three. So um, I, I, I do want to say, I think, well, first of all, I, this was, this was insane to me. Um, I thought that Tibbs almost lost the series for the Knicks with this. Because if Randall gets hurt, he can't play multiple games because of this. The Knicks will not would not win the series. The series would essentially be over. You could lose a game, losses happen, but for Tibbs to be this reckless late in a game, which your team is getting blown out. I mean, that was two twenty two, but they were in the game for earlier than that when the lead was even bigger. For him to leave those starters out there, I didn't watch much of the. TNT broadcast, but I guess Reggie Miller was like hammering home the fact that Randall and Brunson need to be out of the game. Um, that was just reckless, and that was a, a dereliction of duty from Tom Thibodeau, and that was terrible. And and it was a really a bad sign. I, I didn't even like him putting it on Randall. Uh, I think as a coach, you need to say, "Hey, you know what? That's that's on me. Like <laughs> I gotta be better than that." So uh, poor job by by Tom Thibodeau. I don't know what did you think of the whole situation with him. Uh, leaving Randall out there. 
Yeah, I, um, I think we're going to disagree on the Jared Allen quotient. Right. I didn't think it was as as dirty or bushly. Um, we are 100% in agreement on the Tibbs aspect of it. Um, a couple things. One, what if Obi came up to Tibbs and said, hey, I played six minutes tonight. Do you mind if I get some <laughs> run here, you know? Yeah. Would, would Tibbs have taken, you know? In other words, if Randall asked to stay in, what does that factor into the head coach's decision to do what's best for the team? Again, I think it leans back on this, this whole thing where Tibbs continually kowtows to Randall and is afraid in any way, shape, or form to upset him or disrespect him or you know, listen. Yeah. It's a 20, it's a 23 point game with two minutes and 22 seconds left in the contest. The Knicks are not winning the game. The most ridiculous part of it was they took him out after that foul. Like you just got the, the flake, you know, so you got a bucket. Yeah. And he got the flake. So why are you taking – in other words, if he could have played then, why are you taking him out? Why not let him play the final 10 seconds right. and have him run wind spread? You know, like the, the idea that the only way you can get a game shape um, is, is by staying in the in – in, in, in the last two minutes of the game, yeah. In the last two minutes of a playoff game is ludicrous to me. You know, listen, you, yeah. can, you got two more games. It's not like they play the next night and there's no time for practice or, you know, like there's other ways. It's not like he has to rehab. It seems like he's, you know, he's physically, um, he's physically fine. Um, you know, he can, he can get extra cardio in or whatever over the next two days and to kind of ramp up his, his, you know, his, his, uh, his energy levels and, and just prepare himself to get in game shape. Um, it, it, so a couple things, one, let's hope he's okay. Um, we yeah. left, we left game one thinking out, oh, um, Hart tweaked his ankle, but you know, he's fine. He came back in, hit the three pointer, you know, yada, yada, yeah. yada. Then on the next day, he's listed as doubtful. Of course, he ended up suiting up and, and was clear to play. But obviously there was a point 24 hours prior to the start of game two, where they didn't think that he would be available to play. Yeah. And um, he was not much of a factor in that game yesterday so he was not he was not a a, a team low minus 29 a very uncharacteristic yeah. josh hart contest um so uh, randall looked fine he got up and, and walked away uh you know let's hope that he's able to practice fully and that we don't get a situation where we get a tweet um from nick's pr you know uh, this is we're recording this uh wednesday afternoon on thursday morning where you know randall questionable listed as questionable wasn't able to participate in practice whatever the case is let's hope he's okay the other thing is um at the end of the at the end of playoff games if i've seen a playoff game i've seen you know a thousand Bad things happen because teams are pissed. They just lost a playoff game. Right. They yeah. just get angry. They shove. Uh, they, yeah. they push each other. Uh, you know, how much time was left when uh, P.J. Brown flipped Charlie Ward? Um, right, yeah. You know, how like much time 10 was seconds, left? whatever it was. <laughs> you know, like we've, we've seen yeah. it time and time. Like JoJo English and Derek Harper. We can, you know, that's just Knicks games. And there's a million other scenarios right. um, where these things have happened. So my thinking was when Randall went up for the dunk, please don't get hurt. Then he goes tumbling to the ground. Please don't be hurt. And then as he's getting up, I'm thinking, oh, he's going to try to throw a punch at Jared Allen or right. shove a referee to get at, you know, Bernie Bickerstaff or something like that. Um, so I thought Tibbs really got lucky here um, because to your point, if if Randall would have missed that time, um, it depresses me to no end that I have to, I'm forced to agree with Reggie Miller. Um, so that, that's, that's <laughs> a low point. It's a low yeah. point of my day. Um, but yeah, zero rationale. And also if you want Randall to play, if he tells you and you want to say, okay, whatever you want, Randall, you can play uh, the, the last few minutes. Why is Brunson in the game? You know, like, right. Right. Exactly. 
you know, did Brunson say he wants to play too? So I just, I, <laughs> I, I, I find it really hard to to, to find a, any, you know, I think it's it's almost like Tibbs just, you know, wanting to, you know, he he, he knows what people are going to knock him for the minutes, please. And him coming there knows that people and just be like, listen, I'm going to leave my guys in. So luckily the Knicks got away with it. Um, but yeah, I can't, uh, I can't justify that, that, that decision. Yeah, I can't I can't justify it either at all. I mean, like I said, uh yeah, you make a good point. I didn't even think about the whole Randall angle with Randall once again continuing to keep getting what he wants, regardless of what it means for the team. And this was kind of another example that you're right, where it's clear that the game is over and you need to keep him rested and fresh. And 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 the point you made about Brunson was also very accurate. And I thought about the same thing. I'm like, all right, well, if uh, you know, Randall's the guy that needs rhythm, why is Brunson out there? <laughs> he could use the rest, he could use uh the time away. We don't need him to get hurt. So yeah, I, I just think sometimes Tibbs coaches on autopilot, man. Like yeah. I, I really do feel that way, and it's it's crazy because I, I, you know, and I I don't take anything back from game one. I thought he coached his best game as a Nick head coach, but then there are these games sometimes where it's like, all right, like decision has to be made. Like you know, are you awake? Let's go. Like you know what the situation is, and he's just like, well, like it doesn't really matter if I don't do anything here, or it doesn't matter if I don't make an adjustment here. It's like no, it does matter because something catastrophic can happen, and something catastrophic almost happened. And I was just say quickly. On the Jared Aaron thing. Um, I thought that that was a completely Bush League play because I understand it's a postseason. I understand you don't want to give up anything, just like Randall said. I, I agree with all of that. What I don't like is you have a play where you're up 20-something points. You have a play in which it's a 2% chance he makes a block on that play. I mean, he had no chance to make a play on that ball. And you're going up with a guy who's going for a dunk, and you're coming from behind him, and – only bad things that happen when a guy's up in the air like that. And anybody who plays ball knows that you cannot throw a guy off when he's going up for a dunk um, uncontested and you're coming in late. Like, that's just an uh, absolute no-no. So for Allen to do that when a game where you're up 20-something points was ludicrous to me. Make Go out there, sprint, go out there, make a faint attempt. That's fine. You, you can't go out there and make real contact on Randall there. And – if there was any part of me that wanted to give him a pass, I'm looking at him on the bench and he's grinning at the replay. He's looking at, he's pointing at the monitor. He's looking at the replay being like, I don't know. And he's smiling ear to ear. So I took that and said, okay. And then J.D. Bickerstaff is saying, well, that's a basketball play. I said, okay. Knicks fans, the, the Knicks team, you now understand what the rules of engagement are now going into game three. That is a basketball play. And, and and what Jared Allen did, they think is totally cool. So I hope that everybody in the Knicks organization, I hope the Knicks fans that show up in game three and game four, they know what time it is because I, I just thought that that was ridiculous. I mean, if he if he injures Randall there, he goes down as one of the biggest villains in New York sports history. That's why, that's why the whole giving him a pass for some people, like, I can't accept because it's like Randall could have gotten hurt. Like that, he's lucky he didn't. So because he, I think the reason why people are willing to say, well, he didn't do anything wrong is because Randall didn't get hurt. But everything he did very well could have forced that injury. He didn't do anything to ensure Randall didn't get hurt in that play. So that's why I was so fed up with it. I would just say this. I think he made a play on the ball. I think it was excessive. Um, I do I do understand um, not wanting to take a guy's legs out. But, it, you know, I just, in other words, I saw somebody earlier tweet, like if this was, uh, Draymond Green that did it, and we'll talk about the Green stuff in a sec. But like, if yeah. it was Draymond Green that fouled Brandle, he'd have been suspended for the rest of the series. I that I totally <laughs> disagree with. It wasn't stopping. It was, 
it was in the it was in the Jared Allen's in the game. He's not going to shoot three pointers. What he does is block shots and grab rebounds yeah. and dunk the basketball. So that's what he's in the game for. Um, if he had done it in the first quarter of a of a one possession game, um, if Charles Oakley had done that to Scottie Pippen in the third quarter of a game three, you know, in in, in a tie game, I don't think a lot would have been made of it. Um, so again, if Randall's sprinting and, and chasing and, and running into passing lanes to get a and to get a dunk, I don't have a problem with a player attempting to prevent that his opponent from getting an easy basket. Um, as he as he contacted him, I thought Randall was right. Um, he went through him as opposed to just going for the ball. Um, right. I thought he could have handled it a little bit better. That's why I don't have a problem with the flagrant. I think that you know you contact the player in the air without his legs underneath them. The, the that's a you don't want that in the NBA because there is a decent chance if Randall falls on his hip or falls on his elbow or falls on his wrist, there's a million ways that a guy can get injured, and there's and you don't want that in the NBA. Um, so yes, I, I I understand, but that being all that being said, I just the the spirit of the play. Um, the, the, you know, I don't, in other words, I don't think it was, you know, it wasn't a, a, an elbow at mid court to a guy's chin or uh, grabbing somebody's right. ankle and yanking them back down or, or, you know, a guy beats you. So you swipe at their legs and, or kick them or something along those lines. Right, right. Um, so I, I just, I, I, that's the only, that's why I understand Bickerstaff having, having a, a you know, defending his player as, as you knew he would. Um, as far, the last thing on this, as far as, the Knicks getting motivated for a game three. I understand that the fans are going to get worked up, but if you're, if you're the Knicks and you need a foul in the last, in the final seconds of, of game two, right. to get you, get you oh, up yeah. for the most important game of the season and you're lost anyway. But um, I agree. I add a little more juice, a little more excitement. Um, you know, again, the only thing I worry about is the, I don't, Randall's always on that margin on these. He walks a thin line right. anyway, so I don't want him overly amped up i'd rather him a little bit chilled out um so we'll see how it plays out and i'll be honest i i was i thought it was a good sign that that did not escalate into more like okay. i thought that like he you know he said his piece to alan he said his piece yeah. to the Cavs bench because somebody said something to him and he yelled yeah. from the back at them which again is like why what is what does the Cavs bench have to say to him there like i don't i don't even know what i don't know i'll tell you one thing uh, and me and my brother talk about this all the time like you go into a playoff series and, you know, you play a team that maybe you're not, you know, you don't, it's not, it's not a, it's not a storied rivalry or it's not an established rivalry. And, you know, you come into the series like, Hey, I have no issue with the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Cleveland fans. Like why would I have an issue with them? And, and then me me and my brother always talk about how long does it take for that animosity start building? And And, after game one, I still felt like, I mean, I don't, and they were talking crazy about the files. I was like, I mean, I don't, I don't feel any, I want the Knicks win. I don't care. That is out the window after game two. I mean, between it's, it's, all that crying and then and then that play and then JB Bickerstaff and then these guys posted up. Uh, I don't know if you saw the picture of them. They're holding the chain and they're all there. They're posing after winning one game. It's like, all right, officially, it is. Uh, what is so good about Cleveland? Now it's real. Before, before it was jokes. Now the whole joke, you know, what's so good about Cleveland? Now we, we're there. Now we are officially there. You like it? You think? Cleveland's cool. I mean, I never heard anybody say I'm going to Cleveland on vacation. What's so good about Cleveland? I don't know, Joachim. I don't know. I, Not Isaac, much clearly. Isaac Okoro cheesing in that picture, hard eyeing the, the camera. <laughs> it, 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 three minutes. Come on, bro. You, you don't even get to wear the chain. You don't get to stand next to the person wearing the chain um, when, when you talk a lot and then play three minutes. So I agree. Um, adds a little excitement, a little intensity, as if we didn't have enough. Um, we said it after game one, and it's still true after game two. Matt is the square garden. 33rd name oh, yeah. will be loud on Friday. Oh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, so- that's going to be an electric environment. And look, I, <laughs> it's truth be told, I bought tickets for game six or I didn't buy them. My, my girlfriend bought them. And I was like, well, I don't know if there's going to be a game six after what happened in game one. But uh, I'm starting to think that uh, I, there will be a game six with the way the series is going. So um, very fascinating series already. We'll see how things go down. But um, let's let's take it out west because there's some other big playoff news that we did mention a little bit earlier. So a major development in the Western Conference playoffs as Draymond Green has been suspended for game three of the Warriors series against the Sacramento Kings. Green stomped on the chest of King center DeMontis Bonus after Domus uh, briefly grabbed his leg while being tangled up under the basket. NBA executive VP Joe Dumar said Green's, quote, over-the-top actions and status as a, quote, repeat offender led to the suspension. The Kings, meanwhile, said that Sabonis, who suffered a sternum injury due to the stomp, is listed as questionable. So, Tommy, this has been a lot of conversation regarding this incident and a lot of conversation about whether or not it was right to suspend green. Where do you land on this? Do you think that the NBA was right to suspend Draymond green for game three? Man, I've been going back and forth on this a little bit. I'd like to come out and have a hot take and, and but I, <laughs> I, I, I am a little bit uh, on the fence on this. Um, the reason against suspending him, um, he was ejected in the fourth quarter Right. Of, of the game. Um, it was still of a very position. close game. Yeah. A very close one possession game, seven minutes left. Um, that's a big blow. So you're set. I'm not, it's not the same as suspending them for two games. Um, but typically if you're going to err on the side, you know, if it happened the last seconds or it happened in the, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter of a 20 point blowout, you know, then, then it doesn't really have an impact on the series because, you know, but this did have a material impact on the series. Um, uh, you know, I, I understand that, you know, kind of happened in the, in the heat of the moment. Um, all that being said, I, I, I support the, I think I would have, if I was in Joe Dumars place and, and Adam Silver league office, I think I would have suspended him well for a couple of reasons. Um, and, and Dumars talked about this. He spoke with Woj and, and Shams and a yeah. bunch of guys. This, he's got quotes on record, um, essentially saying that the, the totality and the history of Draymond Green's histrionics played a factor here and yep. you know the, the 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 yanking you talk about you know jared allen fouling somebody while they're going off for a dunk he grabbed brandon clark's jersey and going off for a dunk yeah last year did the Draymond green that's a dirty non-basketball play absolutely you know, we know about the kick to steven at steven adams um in the spot you don't want to get kicked out a few years yep. ago um, we know about the the punch to LeBron James. All these things cumulatively, and those are just a few of the highlights uh, of, of the of the uh, you know Draymond Green's greatest hits. Um, <laughs> and and the other thing is the, the the way he reacts after the the foul, you know, egging on the crowd. He did the same thing after he got it suspended in Memphis. I think saying that I knew the refs were going to eject me on podcasts in the past. He just has this, uh, you know, it just escalates the intensity and the. Um, and all that goes into, you know, I don't want to be, you know, I understand, you know, the, the league isn't tough enough and you want to see the stars play yeah. and I get all that. Um, but it, you know, I just can't justify letting a guy do what he does and, and continue to, 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 to continue to be allowed essentially given, you know, free reign to continue to do the yeah. things. And the one other thing that I think also made it worse, um, because a lot of people are saying that Sabonis 
started it. And I could, it could be interpreted that way. And I, and I, and I can't completely, uh, you know, mitigate that, but I really did feel like if you look at it from one angle, I do feel like Sabonis kind of covered up as opposed to seeing that it was Draymond Green right. and Draymond Green about to go to a fast break and yanking him down and trying to hurt his ankle. I don't think that was the tension of Sabonis. Um, but either way, um, when you stomp on a man's chest like that, um, and, and it, I just, I, I, I can't feel sorry for you when you're not allowed to play in the next game. Yeah, I, I feel like in terms of the, the suspension, it's like I it's it's a cop out answer, but it's almost like I can't disagree with the suspension. Right. Exactly. Like, like it's like what, it's like, what, it's what like, I what like, it's like they ruled it on the court and I can't overturn it. There's not enough right. There. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. That's ex- that's exactly how I feel. Where it's like, look, I mean, he stomped on a guy's chest. I think for the sake of the NBA playoffs and how great that series has been. Right. Would I prefer Draymond Green just be playing and we get to see these two uh, cleared now rivals, you know, battle it out? Yeah, that'd be what I'd want to see. But, like, that's just not how this goes. Like, there are Kings fans. There are people involved with the game as well. And they had their center get stomped on the chest. I don't know if you can just say, well, you know, he got thrown out of that game and that's just it. If that was a regular – if that was happening in the regular season, there's – Almost no chance that's not a suspension beyond the flag, the flag, too. 100%. And you also, so bonus is listed as questionable with the rib condition. Right. So if Sabonis can't play and you've and you and you allow Green to play, that just looks horrible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, like, and that's the hockey rule where, like, essentially, yeah. like, if you knock a guy out in hockey and he's ex- out for a month, then you're out for a month. I mean, yep. I, I think the NHL, I, I like that the NHL does that, quite frankly. So, yep. so I agree that would have been a weird precedent if Sabonis can't go. So, so. From that standpoint, it was like I can't I can't argue with it. The other standpoint is from Draymond Green's perspective. I mean, this guy he's a dirty player. I don't know what else to say. Like anybody who's trying to like make the amount of excuses I've seen. Like I've heard so many people say, "Well, what else was he supposed to do when the guy grabbed his leg?" I'm like, there are what twenty six guys on each roster. All twenty five other guys. Would not have stomped on Demontis Bonus' chest, including Demontis Bonus, if Draymond Green grabbed his leg. 100%. There's only one player on that court that was going to make that move, and that was Draymond Green, which is why for him, and if you're a Warrior fan who's upset, I just feel like you're upset at the wrong entity. You should be upset at Draymond Green, who continues to display a level of selfishness when it comes to being out of control in these environments and letting the environments get the best of him, and in turn, hurting your chances of winning a championship. Like, he very well may have cost the Warriors a chance to repeat, because I don't think, I didn't think the series was over, and it may still not be over. But, like, those were two tough, competitive games. I picked the Kings in seven, all disclosure, but uh, the Kings had to squeak by both of those games. Those were tough games. I thought the Warriors were going to come in three, three and four and probably blow their doors off. So, like this is a tough series. So for him to make that decision, knowing that now it's in the hands of the league of what's going to happen for you, the rest of the series. I mean, it, to me, it's a completely like, I don't know, like it's like a, a non-serious kind of action. It's like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Yeah, you're right. And the Kings won two games, but I feel like they had to play close to their a game. Um, right. To beat the Warriors, um, and obviously we know about the Warriors' struggles on the road. Reacclimating Andrew Wiggins back into the lineup. Um, yep. Now they go home where they've been dominant. Um, but I will say this: if the Kings want to win the series, I want to. If they they don't want to let this game slip away, um, oh, they gotta get this one. Because if the Warriors win 
tonight without Draymond, um, that's that's going to make things very interesting for game four um, and just kind of change the entire momentum of the series. So um, it's, it's it sounds crazy to call a game a must win for a team. For a team up 2-0. That's up 2-0. Um, but you don't want to let this game slip away. Um, but yeah, credit to you for, for calling it out. It, it seems like sometimes we ignore the previous six months of, of what we've right. seen and the Kings being really good and the Warriors being awful on the road. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, we, we ha- that our you know, confirmation bias uh, d- didn't prove right in this one. So, um, yeah, it should be a fascinating game, uh, game three and, and the rest of the series going forward. Yeah, like I tweeted, like I don't want to hear people talk about the NBA regular season not mattering. It matters. Now, whether or not the teams take it seriously is a whole nother conversation. But the Kings took the regular season seriously. They protected home court all season. So it prepared them for a matchup against a Warriors team that did not take the regular season seriously, that did not take road games seriously, to find a way to win two tough games at home. That is why the regular season does matter. People look at this, they say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, Kings, I know they won all these games, but, I mean, they're the Kings. The Warriors are going to go out there and, and run right through them. I, I'm like, have you been paying attention? Like, it's so hard, and it's not just this season. This is like the totality of the NBA history. It's so hard to just flip a switch once the playoffs start. Like, if you're a 6C kind of team, you're a 6C kind of team. That's what the Warriors have been much of the season. Now the thing we can just throw in Andrew Wiggins in the mix and just there will be no consequences. And he's, you know, still trying to find his way through it. I, I I just I was I won't say I was surprised at how much people were writing off the Kings in the series because I wasn't, but I just think that the the reasoning behind it, which seemed to almost entirely stem from throwing out the Warriors regular season and throwing out a lot of the King sets in the regular season, just didn't make sense. I if you want to say from a roster standpoint they got a better roster in terms of the Warriors, I may not even disagree with you, but I, I just didn't under, understand eliminating the regular season from why the Warriors were going to beat the Kings in this series. So I'll tell you what, that this is, there are very, very interesting series happening all across the NBA. Just uh, maybe wa- not so much in the East besides uh, this, uh, this Knicks series, but in the West. Uh, well, does Milwaukee need to win tonight? Doubtful. Well, that's another one. Giannis yeah. doubtful for game two. I did not expect him to be listed as doubtful. Um, you know, we, we saw him go down with the, with the injury, but it was, a, you know, it was contact injury and it just yeah. seemed like, you know, um, obviously Miami's playing without Tyler Hero, but um, listen, the Bucks are good and they can win four to five with a health, with a healthy Giannis, but you're not going to get a hundred percent Giannis in game three. Definitely, yeah. um, and you got to win, you know, three of those games in Miami um, against Jimmy playoff, Jimmy Butler. Um, yeah, that's no small task. So some, some, some a, a pay, you know, we got the, the sons, uh, the, the Kings, um, uh, Warriors game tomorrow night, Thursday, and then we got yeah. the the uh, the Milwaukee um, uh, Miami game tonight. So uh, on Wednesday night, so it should be uh, some, some definitely some interesting action in the in the uh, yeah season. yeah. It's been wild. You're right. You know that 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 Buck series got very interesting. That Giannis doubtful uh, yeah. listing, and I I said on WFN just a couple of days ago that I felt like or yes, well technically yesterday recorded this on Wednesday. Um, that to me the Giannis injury and the Tyler Hero injury actually opened up a path to the Knicks to potentially at the very minimum go to the NBA conference, Eastern conference finals. I think maybe go to the NBA finals. That's how serious this could be. Giannis is now, now doubtful for this game. Uh, things can get very weird and very interesting. Uh, as, a uh, uh, what was the, uh, the character in the Marvel universe, uh, played by Julia, Julia Louise Dreyfus said, um, in, uh, Captain America, uh, winter soldier. She was like, um, you know, things about to get very weird. 
And that's kind of how I feel about the NBA playoffs. Yeah. Uh, things are about to get very weird. I said Falcon. I meant Falcon and when it's all not Captain America. When it's all, but you know what I mean. Uh, things are about to get very weird in these NBA playoffs. I feel it. And buckle up. Buckle up, Nick fans. You're in there for a long series. Buckle up, rest of the NBA. I think this is going to be a wild ride. True. But um, that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Blood. So thank you guys so much for checking us out. Tommy, let the people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter. Make sure you check out our podcast wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service to get these episodes every time we drop. Also, check us out on YouTube. Check us out on the WFAN channel and the Odyssey Sports channel. That'll do it for now. Thank you guys so much for checking us out. Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.